So happy Father's Day. We'll ce- thank you. We'll celebrate any excuse to celebrate around here. So for dads here, happy Father's Day. Men here that aren't dads, happy Father's Day. Women here that aren't dads, happy Father's Day. It- Everybody gets to celebrate. What? Why don't we all be happy today? I've made a decision that I'm going to be nice to everybody today, and some of you are relieved right now because you never know what happens when you show up at church, right? I mean, really, are some preachers just sadists or what? You know, they reel us in, and then they smack us around, and then they feed us root beer floats on the way out and try to make up for it all. It's a mess. It's a mess, you know. Well, I've never been a good preacher, and actually, that's good for some of you, because I don't know how to do that stuff. I'm just going to share some of the story. But, you know, on Tuesday mornings, uh, I meet with a group of guys. I encourage you, if you're a guy, be a part of that thing. Tuesday mornings, right across from Costco on 44th Avenue. In fact, uh, we, we, you know, we're cheap, so we just meet in another church's church building that's down next to a Starbucks. It works out really well. Resound, Resound Church, actually, is in that building. And uh, on Tuesday morning, 6.30 to 7.30, a bunch of us guys meet. And some of you are brand new dads. Yeah. We, uh, last week, had two brand new dads sitting next to each other. During the middle of the talk and discussion, they leaned toward each other, and they nearly fell asleep on each other. <laughs> this is not socially appropriate male behavior. I want you to know. But new dads get a pass, Brad. New dads get a pass. And you know one of my favorite books in the world is the Be Prepared book. Yeah? It's a practical handbook for new dads. You want to hear what the author writes on the back? No, you're going to get it anyway. Yeah, it's it's my deal. My day. I got the mic. Yeah. Here it is. If you're a new dad, keep a copy of Be Prepared by your bedside. It's funny, informative, and let's be honest, it's not like you're going to be sleeping anyway. Yeah. So, Brad, this is for you. This is for you. It's, it's the page on bracing for the unhappy hour. Okay, this is going to encourage you, Brad. During these months, most babies become extremely edgy toward the end of the day, sometimes crying for an hour or more. Some of you new parents are saying, which months? Yeah. This uh, fussy period is believed to be the baby's way of rebooting her nervous system. So sometime between 5 and 8 p.m., the baby's brain gets hit with maximum capacity and goes into cry mode. Now, if you're a working dad, unhappy hour can be particularly miserable because just as you open the door, the baby freaks out and it could give you a complex. And if you're a guy, you may feel it's your duty to troubleshoot the kid and figure out a solution. And after all of your best efforts go unrewarded, anxiety and frustration may set in, bringing you one step closer to putting that Baby for sale, add in the classifieds. Yeah. Now, this might make you feel better. Here you go. This usually passes after a few months, years, periods of time. And in the meantime, here's the advice. Get a pair of earplugs to dampen the noise level, which literally can get up to about 100 decibels, about the same volume as a chainsaw or a leaf blower. Okay. (laughs) I want you to know, Evergreeners, I want you to know that a mom with an infant actually flipped her app, decibel app on, and measured his crying, and then during worship measured our music level, and we have nothing on a baby here at Evergreen. I want you, I want you to know. So, hey, here we go. You can go ahead and start the recording now. This is the one that's going to go out into the virtual world when you tell your friends that you have a smart and articulate pastor who's going to be speaking today. We have gathered, dearly beloved, today. Here we go. Yeah. So, hey, 
Well, I thought we were going to have uh, Brad some kind of a pious, religious-looking thing. All I get is the game of life motif here on the stage today. Give it up for Brad, our stage artiste. Yeah. We're going to be talking about life, lessons on the road. And today we're talking about choosing your traveling companions. We're going to be taking a look at several chapters starting Today, in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5, next week, Anne's going to take us on in some of the rest of the chapter as she talks with us about how to hear God's voice. Any of you interested in tuning up on that this summer? I'll be here front and center. You'll be surprised with some of what we learn. We're just going to go on Paul's journey. He took a Mediterranean trip for a few months. It was not a cruise, but it was a trip. Sometimes we call it a second missionary journey, and we're going to discover some life lessons that he learned along the way as his faith was tested, and he went through these zigs and zags in life. I'm looking across the room right now. I've been talking to many of you this week. Some of you have experienced some life-altering circumstances this week. You are stunned about what has happened to you. I'm stunned about what has happened for you. And in this series about life, we're going to find some good, helpful advice. Today, we're talking about choosing your companions. Hmm. Let me ask you a question. Why is your friend selection so crucial in your success? Now, we know intuitively, and it's been discovered with research, that good friends can be good for your health. Good friends can increase your sense of belonging and purpose. Good friends can boost your happiness They can reduce your stress. I know bad friends can do the opposite, but we're talking about good friends here. They can improve your self-confidence and your self-regard. Good friends can encourage you to change, or they can encourage you to avoid bad lifestyle habits. And mostly good friends can help you be and do what God has called you to do. Friend selection. Charles Jones got famous. You've never heard of him, but he got famous for saying this word, I quote, You are the same today as you're going to be five years from now, except for two things. The people with whom you associate and the books you read. Hmm. Well, let's read from the book today. The one that God uses and will use to transform your life. As we invite the Holy Spirit to come today and to this mix of the truth of God's Holy Scripture and the work and voice of the Spirit in your life to change the way you think, called the renewing of your mind, and change the substance of who you are, called the transformation of the human spirit. Let's read today from the Bible. Acts chapter 16, verse 1 through 5. Verses are on the screen. So Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was Jewish and a believer, and whose father was a Greek. Now, the believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, They delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Catch verse 5. As they, uh, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. 
Leave the slide for a moment. Notice the definition of success. Paul did some stuff with his team and they, after a season, declared success and this were the metrics of success that they used. People were stronger in their faith, better followers of Jesus. The church, the community of the faithful grew daily in numbers. They had better faith. There were more people knowing Jesus, better and bigger. Here's my question for you. Are the metrics of success in your life to be better and bigger? If so, you're going to like this talk. Here's the point today. Your friends will shape who you are in 10 years. So choose them well. Now I'm looking across the room. Some of you aren't sure you're going to be here in life in 10 years. Come on, just join me in boomer denial. Let's act like we are going to be today. The shaping influence and the importance of choosing them well. Backstory. Paul chose Timothy when Timothy was probably uh, in his later teens. Now, Paul and Barnabas had already come through their town. And on that, what we call the first missionary journey, Paul, in the name of Jesus, had healed a guy who had been lame from birth. And as a result of that healing, many people in that city committed their lives to Christ, including apparently Timothy and his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. But his dad didn't come along for the party and retained his, uh, his Greek uh, belief and world view. So these Jewish, um, Jewish mother and grandmother became a follower of Jesus, as did Timothy. And we're told later that he'd grown up since the time he was a little kid, knowing and understanding God's word. Paul comes back through town the second time, sees Timothy, who had already established a reputation now as a young man, of being a faithful follower of Christ. And Paul looks at him and it says, I want you to notice this. This is a big deal. The text says, Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. Did you get that? This highly spiritual guy, this guy that wrote a third of the New Testament, God used him to spread the gospel and good news of Jesus across the Roman Empire. This guy who heard God say yes and no, he had visions of God and visions of heaven, pretty close to God, don't you think? We'd like to be in tune like that, most of us, wouldn't you? How did he make one of the biggest life decisions of his entire life? A decision that had ramifications about who followed him, became his protege, ended up having part of the Bible written to him, was placed as the bishop of the uh, church in Ephesus, the largest Christian church as far as we know in the first century, who was a second and third generation mentor of others as well. The world was changed through the influence of the Christian church, dramatically influenced by a timid teenager named Timothy. How did Paul make this monumentous decision that he had to get right? He wanted to take him along. He wanted to take him along. I love that. Some of you try to be too spiritual. It doesn't look pretty and it's not helpful. Some of you just need to spend time every day with Jesus and then just live life with him. Paul wanted to take him along for the journey and he took him along. Awesome. The world was changed for us. So Paul was in love with this guy as a child and as a son that he apparently never had. In fact, Paul describes him as his loved. 
and faithful son. And when he writes to Timothy, he calls him, quote, Timothy, my true child in the faith. Paul chose a traveling companion who was multicultural by background, who was a generation apart in terms of age and was willing to sacrifice to be on the team. I know it's crude, but we literally would say he had skin in the game. And I'm not going to talk about circumcision, but I am going to leave you with the image, folks. That wasn't just for jokes. It's good because you're not. You're grimacing. I don't know why Paul, I don't know why Luke, when he wrote this, thought he had to put that in. But I think, I think one of the implications that we can draw is it's okay choose to choose people that are going to reciprocate in this relationship. They're going to sacrificially buy into this thing as well. They're going to share some values along with you in this journey along the way. And through it all, they have demonstrated their conviction and their tenacity to be there through thick and thin. Isn't that the kind of friend you want to be? Isn't that the kind of friend that you want to have? Okay, I'm going to behave now. You can turn the uh, recorder back on. So guys, here we go. This Father's Day, I'm going to pick on the guys. I'm going to invite you in with me. I'm going to ask you a question. Everybody else can listen in because everybody here is going to get some good stuff in this talk today. Here's the question, guys. Why is it sometimes so hard to make friends? and maintain friendships. Hmm. Many adults find it increasingly difficult to develop new friendships and to keep up with those that are existing. Friendships can easily take a backseat to other priorities, especially through the seasons of life, work or caring for children or caring for aging parents. You and your friends can grow apart in terms of your own interests and life trajectory. You and your friends can grow apart geographically as you move to different places. Maybe you're a single dad here today, one of our heroes. Life is just crazy for you. Where do you find a place to develop and nurture friendships? Yeah. Also, as time moves, especially for men, we really begin to shift the things that we value and what other people think of us becomes, and where we stand in the social hierarchy become of epic importance to us. You see, when you were a kid, (laughs) school threw a bunch of prospective friends in your face. And because we were together with these people for days at a time each week and months at a time each year. And that happened for us across 12 or more years of school. School became our primary context and friends were thrown at us and we developed some deep and significant friendships. By the time, guys, we get into our 30s, life has changed. Now, many of us rightfully reach back to cling to some of those long-term friendships made maybe in high school or in college. But if those don't last... We men especially have a tough time developing new relationships. Now, I'm not talking about workout partners or the occasional guy in the foursome uh, uh, on the golf course like yesterday or the neighbor that you say hi to. I am talking about a confidant, and you know how hard those are to get and keep, don't you? And you just simply culturally can no longer do, Greg, what you did when you were a kid at school which is to walk up to another boy and say, hi, can I be your friend? That gets awkward, doesn't it, guys? How about walking up? Dan, I need a confidant. I've lost all my friends. Would you be my confidant? How do you culturally get from here to there? 
Let me give a little background on why this is so difficult. Yeah. Now, I'm going to make a generalization, and it's a generalization that differentiates to some degree men and women. And any time you hear someone do that, you should be highly skeptical for good reasons. Frankly, in many issues in life where men and, different, uh, men and women gender differences have been assumed, the data simply does not support that. For example, in terms of proclivity and, and uh, ability to access and be proficient in math and the sciences and fields of applied math like engineering, minuscule difference. has more to do with motivation and context. How about flip side the coin? Love, feeling love, compassion, generosity, and empathy. Minuscule differences. Culturally, the way men and women express those might be a little bit different, but we feel the same depth and intensity and sensitivities. But when it comes to what we're talking about today, the development and the maintenance of friendships, significant general gender differences. Now, of course, generalities are just that, and we'll all see ourselves in both sides of this story. But in general, women tend to have a different instruction manual for life growing up, where there's a premium on nurturing and befriending other people. Now, this doesn't mean that average women are unconcerned about success and status, but it means that you may be less likely to throw friendships out with at least considering them along the way. Now, We know that uh, society, whatever society rewards, is what we're probably going to get more of. So let me ask you this question. How recently have you seen a Forbes 500 list of the foremost people who provide love, support, and nurturing relationships for others? Yeah, probably not. Yeah. Have you received any feedback on your ability to make and maintain friendships in school or college or in the workplace? Probably not. It's pretty unlikely that friends and colleagues have recently given you a surprise party. Just simply to say, you listen so well and you really get me when I'm talking to you. And we just want to, probably not. But hey, if Darren gets a job promotion, huh? When Dan keeps winning all of these golf tournaments, huh? Yeah. When you get some stellar new job, you can expect that you're going to get all kinds of wonderful compliments on Facebook or other kinds of media because society is geared toward rewarding men for a status and success increase. Yeah. So what happens to us? Listen, here's the deal. Continuous attention needs to be given to friendships because without regular nourishment, relationships just like any other living organism will will wilt and die. And when your relationships that you currently have falter, and they will, and many of them will pass on, you need to backfill those and replenish them. So here's the deal. Your job won't take care of you when you're sick, but your friends will, so stay in touch. Yesterday, uh, Anne uh, conducted a service, and I and other team members were a part of it here. It was a memorial service for uh, our friend, Jean Gnos. And Bob was here, and he was sitting in this chair, and, and it, was a, it was a wonderful service. But Bob came over 30 minutes early to his wife's memorial service. And Bob didn't go down here to the prayer room to, to hang out with tissues with, with family. That would have been very appropriate had he won. Bob stood right out there, and Bob was the greeter. 
And Bob hung out and Bob engaged. And then when I made Bob come in here for the service, he came. And then he went down the hall and they were part of this wonderful meal. And I saw Bob engaging. And the beautiful thing that I saw was this couple who for decades of their life lived on their holly farm up on Pumpkin Ridge. Decades of their life had developed this amazing social network of friends and neighbors and farmers and ranchers and evergreeners who came to celebrate the life of this wonderful woman. And while I was just feeling so good about that, I also recognized that that is not the life experience that most of us have. Most of us have moved around. Most of us will move around. Most of us will go from job to job. Most of us are not rooted as they were on a a farm. And what has happened for us over time is the fracturing of relationships. So I'd like to talk a little bit about how this works in our culture and some things that we can do about it, which is where we're going to end up. You see, American men are taught from our earliest ages to access relationships around the organizations that we join. Clearly defined groups or teams or schools. The opportunities for connection shows up in organizations, maybe for you as Boy Scouts or a baseball team or in your classroom. And some organizations for us even provide written handbooks telling us about how to gain status in that group and what kind of things you can do to be recognized, awarded, and to become better and higher. The Boy Scout handbook is an obvious case of that. That's our world. So in these organizations, even social stragglers are allowed to stick around. And we all figure out where we are in the social pecking order. The alphas get to the top and the nerdy geeks end up at the bottom. And we all understand that that's how life works for us. And as boys, we quickly learn that we don't get awards because we have developed the fine art of close relational nuancing. All you have to do is to show up and act assertive and confident and do manly things. And you get to the top. Sure. So in adulthood, men continue to seek friends in highly conforming contexts of work, team sports, church, or if you're married significantly, your wife's social network and family. That's why you always go there for all the holidays. We get it. We become friends of parents that are part of PTA or part of the work group or part of our kids' sports league. Because we connect around organizations that we participate in and we track how we're doing in friendship in ways that are deemed okay for guys to act in this context. And that wars against the kind of, can I even use the word with men? Yes, I have to. The kind of trust and confidence and intimacy that can allow a relationship to be one that we call a confidant. So that's why... Men in particular, not exclusively, when our participation in any organization changes, our relationships tend to change, if not completely fail, because those relationships were embedded within that organization. Ann and I had a a striking end to some of our naivety in life 10 years ago when we when we switched our organizational role. Because we'd been a part of the organization for most of our adult life. And because uh, that organization is filled with wonderful, generous, reasonably well-adjusted, nice, well-intended people, uh, if on the 30th of September, 10 years ago, we would have been asked to list our number of good friends, our lists, probably both of us, because we both worked in the same context, would have been like 
dozens of people. I kid you not. Dozens of people. That's how we felt and engaged with people. If you were to have asked both of us to list a name, a, a list of associates, people that every time we saw them, there was immediate response of coming toward us, that there was a smile, that there were gestures of warmth, that there was sincere inquiry about our life, that list would have been thousands. Hmm. Dozens of good friends, thousands of good associates. On the 1st of October, something happened at midnight. Our phones that used to blow up with communication absolutely went dark. Now, we were naive. We didn't understand that. We, we went back and we wondered what was the true nature of the relationship we had with people. Was it all a show? Was it all an act? Were we bad friends? All this. And I'm dragging Anne into this mess because in that organization, it's kind of like 99% male dominated. And so she, though with a national role, was very much working in a man's world. So our experience was similar. No, these were not bad people. They were not flaky. They were not ill-intended. They were sincere. But the organizational platform was the basis on which the friendships had emerged. You shift the organizational platform, those friendships are gone. Now, this makes fluidity within our culture quite a problem, doesn't it? Yeah. So I'm looking out and I'm seeing some of you and yeah. Some of you have moved to this area within the last year, the last few months. And the fact that you have friends, yeah. The fact that the Jacobis have friends is a lot more about the Jacobis than us, yeah. Because the effort, the intentionality, the focus for you and your three girls to relocate to this place and to make life happen, you chose traveling companions for this next season of your life, yeah. I love this quote by Eleanor Roosevelt. She said, One's philosophy is not best expressed in words. It is expressed in the choices one makes. In the long run, we shape our lives and we shape ourselves. This process never ends until we die. And the choices we make ultimately are our own responsibility. Who do you choose to travel with? Because whether you're a success or a failure in your life will have very little to do with your circumstances. It'll be the choices that you make. So what choices do you need to make that will help you be in surroundings where you will personally and spiritually thrive and you will be better equipped to extend God's kingdom and work on earth. Some say that the people that you regularly associate with will determine 95% of your success or failure in life. When Anna and I talk with especially young couples that are about to get married, we say, this is a real big decision you're making. You understand that. By the way, you should spend some time with the prospective in-laws as well. This is a really, really big deal here. Yeah. I love what the wisest man who ever lived outside of Jesus said. Solomon, you'll find it in the Proverbs. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. (laughs) Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians. Don't be fooled. Bad companions ruin good character. Some have said that If you take the combined average 
of the five people that you spend most time with, you can predict the quality of your health, your attitude, and your income by looking at them. Because when we hang out with people, we, we start to eat what they eat and talk like they talk and do what they do and read what they read and think what they think and watch what they watch and dress like they dress. Yeah. When I was a junior in high school, I told you the story once. I shouldn't tell it a second time because some of you don't think I know how to dress better. And when I tell this story, it tips my hand. But at great risk, here I go. My junior and senior years of high school, I worked at a men's clothing store. It's called The Man Shop. And we sold stuff for guys. It's where guys came and rented their tuxes for wedding. And it's where they came to get suits for funerals. And it's where they came to get their cork boots and their red suspenders for going out and logging during the week. And everything in between, I worked at The Man Shop. It's where I went to work for over Christmas holiday to earn money to buy Ann's engagement ring. I want you to know the man shop's a very important place to both of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Fred was the owner. I liked Fred. Fred gave me my first job. He got me, you know, out of the farm. It was a lot easier working inside. And I loved Fred. And one day, one of my friends at school said, Jared, you sound just like Fred. And I said, I don't sound anything like Fred, sounding just like Fred. Yeah. <laughs> a few days later, somebody came and said, you do just what Fred does. And I said, I don't do anything that Fred does. Yeah. Now, this was before Emma and Finch made it out to the West Coast. And uh, you know their deal. If you work there, you're supposed to be like a model. Now, I was the man shop model in high school. None of you have ever thought of me as an Abercrombie and Finch model. I understand that. Don't laugh that hard, Cordell. That's cruel. Well, I was becoming like Fred, including starting uh, learning that in the afternoon for a snack, you should chug a quart of chocolate milk. And after a few weeks of chugging, it dawned on me, I am not going to be Abercrombie and Finch anything if I keep... I learned that I was imitating him down to what he had for an afternoon snack. And I said, I kind of like to be, want to be like some of you, but I don't want to look like some of you. You understand? Now, what's the deal? What do you do? Do you have some relationships where you're the primary giver? Of course. Should you? Absolutely. If you don't get some. You're primarily on this planet to be of service to others. If you think you're on this planet to be a consumer, stop breathing air, go away. Save the oxygen for others that are of service. That wasn't in the notes. Some of you needed to, some of you needed to wake up, and I caught, I caught a couple of dozers. Here's the deal. Of course, we're primarily of service. We're talking about who you're going to take with you on the team for life. We're talking about Paul and Silas and Timothy. We're talking about those people that are going to be with you through thick and through thin and how you're going to select those folks. On your outline today, you have a fun little... Uh, chart. And uh, I hope this afternoon you have some fun with this. I pulled this over from uh, John Maxwell's book, The 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth. And he applies this specifically to just one column to your work or school context. When I was reading that book a few months ago, I actually extended the columns and put in a couple other of my life environments, as he called them. And I've adapted it further for your use. And I'm asking you to think about some of your major life domains and ask these questions. And your responses will be true or false. Others are ahead of me in life, in knowledge, in skill, in our profession, in my occupation, in my spiritual development, relationship with God. I am consistently challenged. I hope so. 
My focus is forward. The atmosphere is affirming. I am frequently out of my comfort zone. That's good. I wake up excited when I think about that. Unless you have infants in your home, you wake up too many times and you're never excited. Okay. Failure is not my enemy. People around me desire change. Growth is modeled and expected. Others are growing. This was a powerful exercise for me because what I realized, what I has, I have some life domains where I am pulled forward. It's like eight out of 10 and I have some others that it's below five. That's where you want to have the yellow flag go up if it's less than five that are true. Now, does that mean that you just throw those people out of your life? No, especially if they're family. Sorry, Tamara and I got it right. Got to keep him. You got to keep him. Here's the deal. If you find that there's an area that's relatively growth stagnant, you make some new choices. You make some new choices. How you're going to create, maybe find a companion or two to travel, but you're going to make some choices to become reinvigorated and active and stretching and moving forward there. Plato said it a long time ago. I don't quote him much. I'd never knew him over 2,000 years ago. I like this quote. I'm going to put it on you. Here it is. Ready? People are like dirt. They can either nourish you and help you grow as a person, or they can stunt your growth and make you wilt and die. Thank you, Plato. So Brad, this week, you can tell people you're my dirty friend. When I'm with you, there's roots, there's nourishment. I'm better for being around you. Or you can say, Evan, you're my dirty friend. You make me wilt and die. Actually, I wouldn't recommend quoting either of those in either context, but you get the point here. So let me end with this. Just some friendly advice from an old guy. Five practical steps that might help you pick some good friends. Number one, some of you just need to change who you're hanging out with. Hmm? Like it or not, you're going to become similar to your friends. They're going to influence you. Why not pick some ones that are going to help you along the way? Of course you're going to be with people that are very different from you in worldview and in faith and in practice and behavior. You'd better be with people that are very different from you. We're talking about the companions that you're taking with you on the road for the long haul. In fact, men, there's some great opportunities. If you're relatively new to Evergreen, if you're feeling a little underattached, or if you've been attached to some guys for a few decades, you'd like to get some kind of attached to some other fresh relationships. I'll give you an opportunity. There's nothing like eating with some guys and then sweating with them at work to help you get to know some guys. And it's going to be just a few days from now. On the 11th, yeah, this, this is a shameless plug for you to come and work. On the 11th of January, uh, what's the next month coming up? July? Hey, uh, Trust me, though, I'm one of the elders here that's overseeing your soul. So. It's, going to, it's going to be okay, Ed. We're going to be okay. It'll be all right. Yeah. Maybe I can just read these and finish it up. July the 11th, men's breakfast right down the hall here. Come eat. Be with a bunch of guys. Meet a couple of new guys. It'll tell their story. Then we're going to go out here to the south end of the building. 
Bring some gloves, shovels, crowbars, whatever you use to destroy stuff, because we're going to take off like four layers of roof over here. That's all happening Saturday. You say, I don't want friendships that bad. Get down here anyway. Get down. Here, here we go. Number, number two, establish a benchmark test for choosing friends. Paul had his. Ask yourself whether spending time with this person is going to lift you up or pull you down. Are they going to make your faith grow? Or make it shrivel? Are you going to be bigger in God's kingdom, making more of an impactful contribution by traveling life with them? If not, find some friends that will. Come on. Number three, list five people who can help you grow. People that you trust to really listen, to be attentive, to make it safe for you to talk about your crazy dreams, your audacious goals, the struggles and pains in life. Number four, create your own advisory board. Boards are made up of people who challenge and they help you grow and they hold you accountable and they inspire you. Tuesday group I'm a part of. Guys, you're welcome to that. I'm going to meet a couple more times and take a break for a couple months in the summer. But that Tuesday group is all about that. Guys getting together 630 for an hour just to learn and grow and challenge and check in and ask what's going on. Yeah. And number five, find a mentor. You've talked with someone, haven't you? They've just seen more in you than you saw in yourself. They believe in you more than you believe in yourself. They call you forth and they stretch you into things and to believe about stuff that you could have never done on your own. A mentor may be older, maybe the same age, maybe younger in life, but it's kind of someone that sees in you some things to draw out that maybe has been down that road. Proverbs, Proverbs records Solomon this way in chapter three. Do what I tell you. Live. And then he tells you how. Sell everything and buy wisdom. (laughs) Well, I hope there's a little hyperbole in there. I'm more comforted by what Phil Comer, one of the uh, leaders in the Church of Jesus in the greater Portland area says. I love it. Find somebody wise and buy their wisdom. It'll probably only cost you a cup of coffee. Get a mentor. Listen. So we end. One of the best moves that you can make in life, in this new season of your life, you've never been here before, is to choose some friends that will travel this leg of life with you. People that are moving the same direction, that are going to help you with your goals of becoming better and in your faith and followership of Christ and bigger in your capacity and ability to make a difference in his world and beyond. Choose your traveling companions. Paul wanted to take Timothy with him along on the journey. And the world was changed for it. So will yours. Who are you choosing to take with you? Let's pray.